0: We've reached the fifth episode of Change Voices, our weekly podcast where we explore the challenges, successes, and lessons of leadership through the experiences of diverse women leaders across Africa and beyond. I am your host, Paula Frey, CEO of Frey Intermedia, which is a pan-African media organization that aims to find new ways of telling Africa's stories. During the past few weeks, we've chatted to some interesting women who are, each in their own way, challenging the narrative of who leads and who speaks about leadership. Our outreach across our social media platforms has also connected us to tens of thousands of women looking to join a virtual leadership network. We look forward to this journey with each of you and hope you'll continue to connect with us, either to add to the topic, to let us know how you're using these sessions or to help us identify women who can add value to the program. My guest today is Bangiwa Mlengeni, Executive Director of the Social Justice Initiative in South Africa. Bangi's move to philanthropy comes via a long career in journalism, then communication, and finally social justice fundraising. Philanthropy in all its forms, whether remittances sent to family, peer-to-peer giving, donor funds or support from high net worth individuals, plays a critical role in supporting social justice on the continent. Unlocking these funds to promote poverty eradication and social justice is key to development and our efforts to reach the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, by the year 2030. Imagine, there are an estimated 170,000 high net worth individuals with a combined wealth of $1.7 trillion across the African continent. An almost incomprehensible amount that can help us move towards eradicating poverty. In fact, there are over 400 companies with more than $100 million turnover here in Africa. Unlocking these reserves for social justice is our challenge. As head of the Social Justice Initiative, Bangiwe knows firsthand how difficult it is to promote investment in the initiatives that enable systemic change to take place. Her work focuses on encouraging funders to look beyond the traditional social welfare projects and instead to invest in this change.
1: Tell us a little bit about your career. How did you get to where you are now? I began my career with an internship at the Pelekheng Youth Centre in Soweto. We were working with young people stuck in their lives. I learned about what it means not to access opportunities and have resources that can move your life forward. I learned a lot as well about women's rights and gender discrimination. Soweto, at that time, was a very violent place and many women were feeling unsafe. So while I was there, I met a woman who was a journalist, and she asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I would love to write. And she said, then journalism can be a path for you. So she helped me apply at two cadet schools, and I chose to come to the Star newspaper, now writing about the experiences that I had in Soweto and the experiences of the people who live there. I was a journalist for 10 years in South Africa, And I left to live in France. From there, I worked in Switzerland for the World Health Organization. I shifted from journalism to communications and came back to South Africa in 2012 to join in the new organization that was being established called Corruption Watch. So I became one of the founding members of Corruption Watch in 2012. And my work in social justice moved to the second level, because I think I've always been doing social justice work, even as a journalist. But when I came back, I now became part of a movement in South Africa that is fighting to move South Africa towards a just society.
0: How did you get into fundraising?
1: I got into fundraising after realizing that it's great to be a communication strategist, but organizations need to access lots of money to do the work that they do, to sustain it and to build resilience in the sector. And I felt that if I really want to make a contribution, I have to understand how to fundraise so that I can put together my communication strategy, knowledge and expertise and combine them with fundraising. So when I came to join the Social Justice Initiative, again, it was a new organization. I am the first executive director and I got in to come and build this organization and that was in 2015. I had no experience in fundraising. It was really a daunting task, but it was one I was willing to do because if we want to drive change, we cannot just speak about social or political aspects. We actually have to understand the flow of money. If we are not generating it as a sector, we have to understand those who generated and really appeal to their altruistic side and their commitment to the democracy in South Africa to then get involved in supporting that work. So what does the Social Justice Initiative do? The Social Justice Initiative mobilizes resources in South Africa. And here we're talking about organizations that we see them as safeguarding our constitutional democracy These are organizations advocating for fair policies. So organizations that ensure that we continue to have media freedom or freedom of expression support organizations to strengthen accountability, particularly the accountability of our leaders. So it's a range of organizations whose main intention is to make sure that people have the ability to access their rights. They make sure that our democracy is deepened and it serves all of us in a manner that is fair fair and just, and that South Africa prospers. So it's quite incredible because the work that we do on the African
0: continent, building capacity of organisations, I mean, one of the things that is always a sticking point, always rather a weakness within the organisation is resource mobilisation. And very often these organisations are doing incredible work, but they're just unable to leverage that work in order to raise money. So what are the major challenges facing organisations who are trying to do fundraising in the sector?
1: Well, the main challenge is finding new sources of money. And another challenge is finding that organizations, I'll speak about those that we know here in South Africa, and I think this applies in other places as well, they're finding themselves spending a lot of time looking for money. And that is taking them away from doing what they love most, doing the advocacy or the caring work that actually attracted them into the sector. So you're finding that international organizations are pulling out uh, certain programs or projects or countries and moving their money elsewhere. You also find that corporates are interested mainly in social welfare issues and education so you can address the immediate needs of people. But if you don't change the system that creates that lack you haven't actually solved the problem. And what many organisations are trying to do is address systemic change so that you make the system to work better for all. So organisations get money from three places usually. Either they get it from their government, which is tax money, or they get it from foreign donors, or they get it from businesses within their countries. And if those businesses are staying away from supporting critical initiatives, that the most essential, it becomes really difficult for organizations to sustain their work. And that's why the social justice initiative was created, so that we can start building a case for why it is important to invest in initiatives that enable systemic change to take place. Change in people's way of thinking about how to invest in society, how to build strong relationships with society that will enable your business to thrive or the country to thrive. That kind of thinking is kicking in slowly, but not fast enough to sustain the work. If organisations are trying to get funding from
0: these three entities that you've just identified, What do they need to be thinking about? I mean, how should they be approaching that, their own fundraising?
1: Well, they have to also start thinking differently. So through our work, one of the things that we have found is that our fundraising is very well targeted. So we are not doing everything. So we are not trying to crowdfund and to raise money from institutions or foundations. We're not doing all of those things at the same time. We have a clear target market high net worth individuals. And we understand now, particularly the ultra high net worth individuals, they bring two things with them. That person will be wealthy, but also it is very likely that that person is an entrepreneur. So that person owns companies also generating a lot of wealth. So when you target high net worth individuals, you are indirectly speaking to the company as well. So most of our energies is find those owners of capital, those who drive capital generation in a country and speak to those and persuade them to invest in systemic change. And we have also found that when we speak to the wealthy, we are able to make the case for huge investments. So we're not going there to ask for less than a million. Our language is in millions that have to be invested in the sector. And I think it's justified. We connect the wealth that they are creating to how to make society not just stable, but resilient and fair. It helps their businesses thrive. So there's a direct connection that we have created between making money and investing money strategically and create a system that enables a fair distribution of that wealth that enhances all of us. I mean, can you give us a sense of the philanthropy network in South
0: Africa or the continent even? I mean, how big is it? So
1: there are different ways in which philanthropy or philanthropists or the term is used. So in the US, when they speak of philanthropy, it's usually institutions and your Bill Gates type of people. In South Africa, though, we find that when we speak about philanthropists, it's not something that is only for a few. People see themselves as giving, and they may be giving small amounts within their communities, within their families. They are in a way practicing philanthropy. So it's a term that we try to move away from. We are not labeling those who are giving to us as a special group of people. And we have found that actually, they also don't want to be labeled as philanthropists, but very much as active citizens with wealth who can then invest in society. So when you say, how big is this philanthropy network? There is a network of wealthy people in South Africa and across the continent, but they may not be the only people who can actually practice philanthropy, and we recognize that. So I would say we actually have a whole broad spectrum of people who care and who want to drive change using their capital. And these are the people we want to focus on.
0: So when you're setting out to approach different organizations or individuals around, what are the kinds of things you're considering in your approach, in your, in your proposal development, etc.?
1: Fortunately, we don't have to write proposals in the type of fundraising that we do because it's all about relationships. So that is our starting point. Through experience, we know that from the time we meet a person and introduce the organization and what it does to the time that translates into cash, we are looking at five to ten meetings over a period of a year and a half. So we also understand we have to know the individual so well, showing an interest in their interests. Our job is to combine their interests with ours or make them compatible one way or the other. So for us, we go through a journey of building relationships with people. And we also know that people don't like to be asked for money, especially the wealthy, the very wealthy individuals. They love to offer and they will offer when they buy into you as a person and they trust that what you are doing is for the greater good. They trust the organization that you are representing, that it will take care of their investment and ensure that it goes where it's supposed to go. And they believe in the mission that you have. And for that, no amount of proposal will do that. It is about a relationship that is built over time. There are many organizations that are still very much in the space of sending proposals because they're getting institutional funding. But our organization is supporting over 80 other organizations in the country. And when we get funding for the 80 plus organizations that we are supporting, we don't use proposals for that.
0: I'm really impressed by your long term vision, the the amount of time you're investing in relationship building, the fact that you're looking at what happens down the line rather than happens immediately. And I'm wondering for organizations who are obviously looking for smaller funding than you are, What are the kind of takeaways or what advice would you give them um, in their own fundraising endeavours?
1: So I think that the traditional ways of fundraising, they still work. I think that organisations have to keep abreast with some of the changes that are happening. For instance, technological changes that come in that create new opportunities for fundraising. So crowdfunding, I'll never dismiss it, even though for some organisations it brings small amounts of money. But we understand that at times, small amounts of money matter. One of the key things though that we are finding out as we build relationships with wealthy individuals and business leaders, is that organisations tend to go to the corporate with open hands, offering nothing except, hey, give me something to sustain my work. What that does is that it creates an unequal relationship between the corporate that is giving and the organisation that is benefiting. What the organisations are overlooking is that they actually can bring value to the corporate that the very fact that they are on the ground, they are working in communities, that they understand how society operates at just about every level, in fact, because of the work that they do, that that work can be packaged in such a way that it is a resource that they can either buy or invest in or create some kind of an exchange that will enable this giving to happen at a more equal level. And I think organizations, nonprofit organizations actually have to start looking at what value does their work bring to those who support it. Can we peek into the future um, and and, and look at what you think how fundraising
0: might change down the line? What changes do you see coming?
1: Well, one of them, I mean, if we do uh, start to shape our work in such a way that, you know, this is actually value-based, valuable work for you. We are influencers in this space rather than activists who are here to cause trouble. That is just one way in which this work could develop into the future just repositioning it. The other way is that we're seeing a younger generation entering this sector and they have a a new way or a different way of understanding social justice type of work. And they are doing it more as a social enterprise. So they are now bringing this capital element closer to the work and I don't think we are going to be in a position to stop that from happening perhaps it's something that we should open our hearts and embrace where it would perhaps also create the space for more social innovation than ever before because if you can find a way to bring an income generate an income while doing what you really love the most you are in a far better position So I'm fascinated by how blockchain is going to change the field of philanthropy to enhance or create new opportunities for ourselves. So in my view, the future of philanthropy or giving or caring using capital This is a space that is likely to grow. It definitely has to be strategic. We can invest in social welfare, but social welfare on its own is not necessarily going to bring us to where we want to be. We want to change the structure of society. We want to build a society that enables access to opportunities, you know, where resources can be distributed fairly, where people can thrive, And for that to happen, we cannot just think social welfare and education. We have to think beyond. Bangiri, thank you so much for your time.
0: As Bangiri just explained, the philanthropy landscape is changing. For organizations, this means an ongoing effort is needed to map who is funding what in your sector, and we must have a greater understanding of how the money is flowing for social justice work in general. It is clear that a lot of her work involves long-term relationship building, but if you require funding in the short term, Bongiwi also has some specific tips for resource mobilization. The first is to be clear about your mission because, after all, that mission is what you will sell to donors. We target our fundraising efforts. We cannot have a one-size-fits-all approach. Once we understand this, we can reach out to build relationships of trust with specific donors. This also allows us to craft proposals that connect the donors' interests with our work. And then, once the funding has been secured, we must ensure that we not only deliver what we have promised, but we do so within our deadlines and with full reports that are factual, professional and evidence-based. Finally, consider what other value your funder can bring to your organization or project beyond monetary support. Funders who partner with the organizations they support often include work such as capacity building, networking and even personal support in an effort to build sustainable organization. If Pongiwe has taught me anything, it is that we are constantly fundraising. Every meeting, every interaction, every new contact is a step towards a possible funding opportunity. It is a critical part of social justice work that we should embrace networking rather than see it as an uncomfortable part of our mission. You can find more information about the work we do and the Change Voices podcast on our website, freyintermedia.com or on our social media platforms at Frey Intermedia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, where our Frey Intermedia teams involved in the production of this podcast will be posting regular updates and sharing the lessons as we go along. I'd like to extend the offer that if you have any specific women in mind that you'd like to hear from, or if you want to support our endeavor, then you can contact me directly at pfrey at freyintermedia.com or direct message me on social media. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss out on our next conversation. Thank you for your time and thank you for joining us for today's discussion. I look forward to chatting to you all again next week when our guest Dr. Yene Asaget will talk us through confidence building through coaching. Until then, let's lead.